This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. For health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 131114. As parents, you could say we have a job to do to keep going in the face of adversity and pass this lesson on to our children. Resilience helps us deal with life as it comes, to adapt and persevere, to be problem solvers and to know what we can and can't control and just make things work. Our guests in this episode are great examples of this. They're role models for their kids, resilient, and have done their absolute best working through all of life's surprises. Hi, I'm Jessica Rowe, and welcome back to the Navigating Parenthood in Perfect Parents podcast, brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. Lynn is a mover, shaker, content creator, a passionate parent of three daughters who are 33 and 30 years old and stepmum to an 18-year-old. She's worked for some of Australia's most successful women's magazines, has her own podcast, is a copywriter, and last year gave her first TED Talk about how freelancing can empower the older woman. Lynn, I love the sound of all of this empowerment and all of that. How terrific to have you here with us. Oh, thank you, Jess. It's really lovely to be here. And yes, and I I always, empowering is a nice word, it's a bit cliched, but I always want to be positive about both parenting and working and even being an older woman. Yes. You're speaking my language. I think that's (laughs) such a great approach, but also too, it's important to be honest and you strike me as someone who is open about the sorts of experiences you've been through. And I get the feeling that you were a pretty busy working mum at a time when there weren't a lot of women working in the environments you were working in. Yes, um, I think um, things have changed a lot. Um, so my eldest daughter, Claire, is 33. Um, so I was at Clio when I became pregnant with her. I was working there. And it's really funny because I think at Clio, we all talked about women having careers and and parenthood, but nobody on staff had ever done it. <laughs> so it was all very good in theory. Um, so and then I worked part-time for quite a few years and I had my second daughter, Isabel, and it was sort of a different, it was very hard to find childcare. So I did so many different types of um, childcare and holiday care and everything. And I, I had a nanny a lot for both the girls because I just couldn't get a place. And also work was so inflexible. Um, I, it was, you had to have something like a nanny. So coming in, um, because there was no flexibility in work. You had to be there almost all the time. And when was this? What sort of years are we talking about? So Claire was born in 1987. Isabel was born in 1990. Well, I was 25 when I had Claire. And I just assumed it would be easy to get childcare. Never occurred to me. And then I rang up when she was born and they said, 
there's no childcare here. There's at least a waiting list for two years. And I thought, oh, I'm going back in six months. And so I, that's why I got a nanny. And that ended up being a lot easier. Although I have to say, I think I was, I did a lot of casual work then. Went back part-time, it was like a couple of days a week, then three to four days, five days until Isabel was born and then I dropped back again. But um, with um, I, I earned $120 a day and I paid childcare of 110 What? So you were <laughs> making then $10. $10? Yeah. And I used to think, oh, except I'd obviously committed to going back to work. And in some ways I'm pleased because in some it was an investment in my career. So I do know some women, some of my peers who stopped working because it was too hard and everything. And of course, then when they tried to go back into careers like five or six years later, it was really hard. Also in 1987, if we can cast our minds back, if you can, is that computers were coming in. So when I left Clio, we were still, <laughs> it's hard to believe, writing stories on manual typewriters. Oh my goodness. I know. And then when I went, I worked for Cumberland Newspapers, which is now News Local, like it was um, News Limited Suburban and Country Papers. Um, and we started working on computers. And they were really basic then, <laughs> like the old DOS system. And then when I, I went back to magazines, I went to the weekly. And so if for some women who stopped work then, to come back to a computerised workforce was really intimidating. And so I'm glad I kept all those, I embraced all those technological changes as they went, whereas some people that had a big break at that time really found it hard because we didn't have computers at home or anything. So there was no way to keep up with the skills. Well, there was no way of working remotely, which is what more and more of us are doing these days. When you spoke about childcare, the Mm. expense of it, didn't you also end up setting up a childcare place? Oh, yes. That was sort of later. Um, What very much comes through is your work ethic. You seem to have an extraordinary work ethic and you make things happen, as you said. Yes. Well, I think you do. And and um, having my children is one of the great joys of my life and I would never trade it. And now I look back because obviously they've been left, they've left home for the last, you know, 10 years or so. I see it all in perspective. It wasn't forever. It wasn't like you have that period of your life that is crazy busy to do everything, but it's not forever. And it's it was a privilege to do that for them and to juggle that stuff. And also I do feel pleased that when they did um, grow up and leave home and be more independent, I still had a career. Also, I was very conscious of being a good role model because I think as a parent, um, you want your children to do well and be fulfilled in all aspects of their life, not just parenting. Um, so I think that's good. And I know that they're both sort of in that sort of idea of thinking of having a family soonish. And I, they've both thought about how they manage children and parenting. And I think they've had a visibility into that. You talk about how, I mean, you're a great role model for them. Were there any moments, though, where they were sort of, well, mum, I wish you were here or do you have to really race off and do that? Um, A few times. I I must admit there was early in, um, Claire used to be so difficult in the mornings when she was about five or six and I said, and this was a really inflexible workforce. In fact, I was taken aside and my pay was docked because I couldn't get in until quarter past nine because I couldn't drop the kids off before 8.30 and it took me three quarters and they said, you have to come in. And I said, I just can't. And they said, well, 
you'll lose um, the first half hour's pay. And I went, okay. And and I said to Claire, look, if we don't get to school on time, I may lose my job. And she said, good. I oh. want you to lose your job. And I went, okay. And then I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I think I put work in a difficult thing, that this is something I have to do and I don't want to do it. And then I rethought and we had this chat and I reframed it. I said, you know, I love what I do. I love my work. And if I did lose this job, I get another job. And this is part of me. This is what I like doing. And this is thing, and it's not going to change whether you're late or not. And she went, and it didn't change. I think it's because I would keep going, oh, work, oh, this, oh. And I thought, no, I'm going to reframe this and say, this is what I I do. This is what I love. And this is part of me. And she was a lot better. Um, I do remember one of the nicest compliments she ever said is that I know it was really hard, but I think you did a really good job of the parenting and work. And and I guess as they've got older, they can see some of that stuff. So, Lynn, in terms of your partner, what sort of load could you hand over to him to do? Things were different then. He certainly, he did a lot of the cooking. He worked in the family business, so he worked six days a week and he used to leave early. I remember we had a whole discussion and he changed because he used to leave at 6.30 in the morning and that was really hard. And I asked him to wait till seven so I could actually have a shower and do stuff before he left. Otherwise, I it was really um, crazy. He didn't have a flexible workplace. He had a long commute, so he was always an hour to an hour and a half away. So the deal was that I would be the responsive one. And that's one of the reasons I took the job at Vogue because it was so close. There was a lot of things he didn't do and there was no time that the school would call him or do anything like that Um, or things like the housework or anything. I can't remember him doing any of that. (laughs) How did that make you feel though? Did you feel like the bulk of the parenting was on your shoulders and you were working as well? Um, Yes. Yes, I did. And I I think that we used to argue about it early in the marriage and then I decided that I didn't want to spend my life arguing and I just accepted and dealt with it and just went on with it. And also the girls are pretty good. They all did things. They're pretty independent. They were making their own school lunches from the time they were five or six. I used to organise stuff and we had things like a calendar. Everything went on the calendar. um, (laughs) So I've remarried and I have um, now with my stepdaughter who's 18, um, my my current husband and I have like technology so much easier. We have a shared calendar. We invite each other to meetings. So he knows when I use the car, when who's picking up, doing things like that. Obviously at 18, she's pretty independent now, but she I've she's been in my life since she was six. So we've done a lot of things with joint calendars and stuff. And I think technology has made that a lot easier. And so how then... Mm. else are you doing things differently? With looking back with your daughters and now with your stepdaughter, what's the difference with your parenting style? Well, there's a lot more because I have to say that I've, I've worked for myself running my own business for the last four years. And honestly, I wish I could have worked for myself or be my own boss when my kids were little. Now I'm much more, I control my own diary. And with my stepdaughter, I've been able to do lots of little things. I've been able to take her to pick her up from water polo or drive her to things. The few times she's been sick, she's been able to stay at home and I've just worked. And and I've and if I, she when she comes home from school, I can spend an hour chatting to her. I have to say with my kids, 
I used to do a lot of that stuff with the car. I do, it was great to drive Isabel to school and I'd hear all about her day and what was happening in her life. So that was really good. And all the various after-school activities, I, I learned that's how we connected in the car. Are there also parts that you think, oh, I kind of wished I'd done that or I could have done that differently? You know, it's funny because sometimes I do, but then as maybe as part of this and this preparation for this talk, I had good chats with both my daughters about what, you know, what they were comfortable with me saying <laughs> and, you know, and if they were okay with me doing this. And they have really good memories and no problems. And some of the things that I was really, I would be feeling guilty about, they can't even remember. They do remember things that I had forgotten. Claire remembers me picking her up late from school camp, which I have forgotten. And I just remember it was just a diary issue that I had the wrong time down. But she got yelled at by the teacher and she was the last person there and she remembers that and really cross with me and because probably because she got yelled at by the teacher. And it's really funny because her dad was with me and he, A, never got yelled at and she never holds it against him. (laughs) (laughs) Often I think as mums it's it's all unfortunately, on our shoulders. And and I think as well, I mean, I know with my own kids and, and they're much younger than yours, they're 11 and 13, but they remember the bad things. And yeah. I want to say, but what about all the great yeah. things that we all did together? All the times together? I picked her up on time. Yes. <laughs> you said that you spoke to your daughters about doing this, about mm. sharing your family's experience. I want to know what it's like to be a parent to older kids, that they've spread their wings how different is it or does it change? It it does because there's not the everyday um, care and attention you need to do. The emotional attention, I think, I mean, my mum says this about me and my mum's 80-something. I think you still care deeply if something goes wrong and sometimes when they're in their 20s and 30s, the things are bigger. If they make a mistake, it can be bigger. If they choose the wrong partner, choose the wrong career, if they um, get really sick, some of those things are really big. And I feel I've done the right thing because they always call me when those things go wrong and things do go wrong. And how do you manage that? And has that changed now that they're older and that you're at, I suppose, a different point in your life too? Well, I hope. I mean, you never know, do you, Jess, because you try. <laughs> you never know. And it's not an exact science. Parenting is always a and journey. And you cross your fingers. <laughs> you cross your fingers, you do the right thing. But I hope that they know, and I think they do, that I'm always there for them. And I would drop everything if I had to. So I hope they do know that. And they have had difficult things. They've both got wonderful partners. Um, Isabel has been married almost two years and Claire's had a long-term partner for, I think it's six years next week. They have made really good choices. They haven't always made good choices. And how do you deal with that as a parent of now grown-ups when you're thinking, oh, I don't really think that's a wise choice? Do you speak up or do you let them make that mistake? I think I let them make that mistake. Um, Of course, if they had somebody who was uh, abusing them, that would be different. Um, But, you know, there was, they've both had boyfriends that have not 
necessarily been the right fit for them or respect their careers or who they are or maybe not supported them as much as I felt that they could have. Um, (laughs) And what advice then would you give your kids about being a parent? About enjoying being a parent? I think maybe people often say that people over gloss over parenting and say it's really lovely and everything. But I think sometimes the pendulum swings the other way, that everyone says how hard it is and that kids are really difficult. But yes, they are and there's sleepless nights, but it is a joy. And I know that when I'm 70 and people say, what are you most proud of? You're going to say your kids. I'm not going to say, oh, I was a magazine editor or whatever. Uh, yeah. And if somebody said I was a bad editor or writer, I'd be a bit upset. If somebody said I was a bad mother, I'd be crushed, mortally wounded. And I think that's what it is. It's the most wonderful thing you can do. And for them, enjoy the journey and ask for help and understand that you're the parent that they need. Because you were and you are such a role model for your daughters Mm. and your stepdaughter. But, But I wonder too... What have they learnt from that? Do they feel a pressure in a way to live up to this extraordinary sort of busy career life that you also built as you were having a family? I don't know. I guess that's something to ask them. I don't think so. I don't think it's a pressure to live up to things. I think this is a given that I am, and unapologetically, a strong and independent woman and this is part of the package. And that's the same with them. I've brought them up to be strong and independent women. They don't have to be amazing successes, but they need to be confident in themselves and confident who they are. And that's the most important thing. Anything else flows from that. And that's what I am most proud of them. Uh, It doesn't matter what they achieve as long as they're comfortable with what they're achieving, they're doing what they want to do. So I don't think it's a high bar and I don't think I would ever put pressure on them to have clean houses or be a certain way, look a certain way, do something, but as long as they're comfortable with who they are. And that's what all parents want, isn't it? Lynn, I have loved talking with you. Thank you for your wise, (laughs) marvellous insights into being a parent. You are an absolute joy. Oh, thank you, Jess. Such a pleasure to be here and chat about it. Thank you. There are many different ways to be a parent, and fostering a child can bring up certain parenting challenges. Our next guests were foster carers doing short-term and emergency care for a while until they decided they were ready to take care of children long-term. Now, 12 years later, these children have left the nest. Let's chat to parents James and Tig about what they've learnt along the way. James and Tig, what a joy to have you here with us today. Nice to be here, Jess. Nice to be here. What I'd like to start with, I'll start with you, James, is what was it about foster care that appealed to you? Well, it was really the idea of parenting was the, was the, the bigger picture. And um, as a gay couple, we, we explored different modes and ways we could go into that journey, I guess you'd call it. And we eventually arrived at foster care and... Um, It was an opportunity to give something of what we knew about life and what we could offer in terms of a home to a number of young people and then to to young people who became our long-term kids. 
And Tig, what about you? Was it something that you thought, I want to be a foster parent or I want to be a parent? Probably a mix of both. Um, we were in our late 30s, early 40s when we decided to become foster carers. So in many ways, I, had, I hadn't decided, but I had just, I hadn't even considered the idea of being a parent until we started to explore that possibility. And then I think the advantage of fostering for us was that it became about the strengths that we had as a couple because we'd been together for quite some time at that point. And so really fostering was a natural extension. Fostering is about saying goodbye. That's that's part of the gig when you're doing short-term fostering because we had children who were in our care for a very short period of time, maybe where a parent or parents were had to be hospitalized. Um, and so it's hard to describe, but it, it just felt like we wanted to do more. Like it felt like we were just dipping our toes in the water and it was time to actually launch and swim. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you, often as a parent, you don't feel like you're swimming, you're drowning. Well, yeah, a bit of that, a bit of waving, <laughs> drowning. That said, I would say there was a, an emotional wrench, really, uh, certainly in some of the times when we did have to say goodbye oh, yeah. to kids who'd been with us for a month or... Or we might have seen somebody for weekends over six months, you know. Um, you, you, that can't be mm. ended easily. There's always that wondering about, you know, how are they now? What are, what are they doing now? I wonder what they're up to now. And sometimes you do hear, um, and, and that's lovely. And what did it then mean to you when you realised, I am a parent? Um, look, it was um, wonderful and terrifying in equal measure. <laughs> Um, really was. You know, if when I look back, I would say parenting has been one of the most worthwhile things that, that has happened to me as a, as a person, as a human being. But it's also absolutely one of the most terrifying things that I've ever been involved in. Just I, I'm learning things about myself that I didn't want to know. Um, like that I what? never want. Or oh, just, you know, it's a it's um the, the reactions uh, to to situations are, as James said, around the the reactions that you have are largely around the way that you were parented yourself and maybe other things. That's not just one thing. And often that's not the most helpful way to, to, to deal with a situation. Yeah. I, I think we can all agree that there's all different ways to be a parent. All of our kids are very different. But what we are, I think, unified by is this notion that it is tough. Mm. And using your word, Tyke, it, it, it is terrifying. There is no way around it. What I'd like to now touch on is when you decided to be long-term carers and how then, James, that process began. We had done a training to become short-term carers, we had to retrain. And the training, uh, to their great credit, was thorough. They really wanted to raise our consciousness, really, about the challenges that we were going to, you know, what we were entering into. And, and you know, I mean, jumping ahead to when we when we started foster caring in the, in the week that we said yes to our two lovely kids, um, I, I spent that week walking around with with a tight chest and that kind of sense of, oh my God, this is changing my life irrevocably, and there's no going back. You know. Were you tempted to go back though? Were there moments during that time when you thought, I don't know if I can do this? Mm, no, I know. I always had faith that we using we had the ability as human beings just to stick with it 
and see these young people through to adulthood. Yeah. What about you, Tark? Did you have any moments where you were a bit wobbly and thought, oh, my goodness? I was more more inclined to the wobbliness in that initial phase of just being just overwhelmed, really, you know. But then even at other times as well throughout the, the parenting situation, um, the parenting journey, I suppose, the, the journey, a very overused word, but... You know, it it fits what what it actually is. Um, <laughs> it's not a first class journey. Though. It's, no, it's not it's a first class journey. And a slog. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a bit trek. of a slog and a trek. But you know, but we we it. were lucky because with the challenges that we had, there was always a sense of we were seeing certain things that we weren't. If you looked back to yesterday, you couldn't see a change. But if you looked back to a month ago, you could see certain behaviours maybe that you weren't seeing as much of. And just that settling process and how terrifying it must have been mm. to come into a house where they had visited for a couple of weekends before they came to live with us. But just an utterly, utterly, utterly different life experience for them, you know. Mm. So I mean. you had the two kids. They'd spent some weekends with you. Yeah. And then what happened? Oh, well, they arrived. <laughs> we went and picked them up from where they were in short-term care and... Uh, they arrived on Saturday. They started school on Monday. Boy, oh boy, what a, you know, what brave kids. I still remember really fondly um, we'd read to them mm. at night um, <laughs> before sleep yeah. because we established routines. We knew we had to establish routines and and that rhythm kind of held us through mm. um, the more difficult um, kind of times because if there was a time when either of them were really upset you could sometimes just rely on, well, hop into the bath now because it's bath time sort of thing. And that might settle mm. a situation, mm. you know, or dinner's on the, Dinner table, on the table, you know, yeah. or those kind of landmarks. You could feel that was helping maybe the one that was upset, you know. And I'm really interested in the day-to-day of how you made that happen because you suddenly have these two beautiful kids arrive into your lives and... What did you say to them? Did you say, okay, we're now your parents? We're your dads? We didn't say that. We're Tyke and James to them. They've got relationships with their birth family. Um, with their birth, mom and birth their dad. Parents. I'm glad that we are just Tyke and James to them um, because I actually think it's tr- more true as to who we are um, to them. We are, you know, dad-like. Um, yeah. Do you think, was there ever a time for the kids when they maybe struggled at school because they had two fosters, two foster sort of dads? Oh, do you mean same-sex, kids of same-sex couple? I've, mm. I've asked, I don't think so. I've asked, you know, maybe a year or so ago because I did wonder was there a bit of discrimination, you know, was there a kind of a sense of, oh, you know, you're less than or that you're weird, you know, some sort of weird because kids can be really cruel to each other. Um, and no. Never noticed anything. Isn't that, I think, almost part of one of the unexpected joys of being a parent, mm-hmm. that you discover all of these things about yourself yes. and sometimes some of those almost inbuilt prejudices you have about a situation, mm. but then you realise, I've got to be open to this and and that is often the silver lining, That's isn't true. it? Mm. That's mm. true. That's yeah. true in so many, you know, um, the number of, you know, soccer and netball games I've attended that I never would have attended, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. I, and 
just that that whole idea of, you know, you had the kids and then as you navigated your way through so much change, how did you change as people, Tig? How, how do you think you've changed? Oh, it's a massive transformation as a person, as a partner, you know. Like I cannot almost remember myself prior to parenting, if, which sounds silly. It's, it's, and I was aware of this from the get-go, the, the tightness that James had in his chest for me on the, uh, at that time of the decision. Like it was such a momentous decision. Mm. I was just aware that, that this was a, a forever decision, mm. really. Mm. How would you describe yourself as a parent? The best and the worst of me. Um, uh, I think warm and humorous, um, volatile, caring. Yeah, I think all of the all of Th- those things. Thoughtful, thoughtful. Uh, the plan, the one who mindfully, more mindfully than me, planned and set things in place, like those routines. Oh yeah, I yeah. think that was a great. And the Great trouble change. is that I'm in in a single twenty four hour period. I might be all of those, things. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and more. <laughs> what, what do you want? That's so true. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like you know, at five past six, you could have one thing, and at twenty past six, it could <laughs> it's be all changed. It's it could all be all over. changed. <laughs> James, what about you? Early on, when when uh, when our kids met a lovely friend of ours, Deborah, she pointed to uh, the two of us, Tiger and myself, and said to them, "And which one's the soft touch?" And they both pointed to me. <laughs> oh, okay, that's my role then. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully more than a soft touch. I oh, yeah, I, I suppose listening, 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 listening. Yeah, um, great listener. Trying to listen. And, and, you know, those conversations in the kit, leaning up against the kitchen bench after school, uh, that, that's almost the most memorable moments are those ones just in the kitchen, passing by, somebody making themselves their own little sandwich or whatever, getting something out of the fridge and the chat about school and just listening. Listening to the two of you talk, you're such a wonderful partnership. And obviously, as parents, has your partnership improved, changed? How, how would you describe that? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think, I suppose the phase that we're in at the moment is realising that we need to be there for them, but their challenges and their struggles are largely their own now. They are as a support, but the, almost the initiation has to come from them. It has mm. to come from them. Mm. And to realise, I suppose, to just, I don't know, hang on in there for the rest of it, uh, as it were, hang, in, hang on in there as significant others in their lives um, for the long haul. I know what I find difficult as a parent is it's almost like a series of letting goes mm. at those different mm. stages in your kid's life. And you're both very much at the stage where you have let go as they embark on their adult lives. Mm. How do you do that? I think we're in the thick of it, really, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, yes, I, I think we ask us um, in five years' time. Um, uh, I think you, you well, you, you intellectually tell yourself you do not have that power, but you, you hang on to those conversations and parts of conversations where the stuff that you, the good stuff that you wanted to sink in 
you hear that back and you think, ah, mm. oh, that's good sense. You've got that good, you know. Mm. Um, but it is just, uh, it's an active slash passive letting go. Mm. Um, I suppose we kind of started out, I remember in the early days, it would have been so easy to give up certain things, for example. It would have been so easy to give up, you know, James runs, you know, I swim, oh, yeah. we do yoga and stuff like that. And I kind of think one of the good things we did was that we absolutely held on to those things, like, I mean, fiercely, you know, like, and sometimes, you know, doing yoga, you know, when you've been in the battlefront, say, for example, and then the, the teacher says something about clear your mind, and your mind is just like, you know, just... You, a junkyard. Yeah, a junkyard. And you're there kind of thinking, oh, you know, or or maybe it's maybe it's just that, oh, tomorrow, I have to remember to give yes. the $5 for the excursion. You know, all of this, yeah, junk. And, and I mean, some of it, you do, you can't keep all of it going. You know, we were single without kids, or sorry, a couple without kids. So, you know, yes, we're not, we weren't going to the movies as often, to the theatre as often, to the, you know, all of that kind of stuff. You, you, you have to, you can't keep all of it up in the air. But just, I suppose, deciding which are the ones, especially I think it's the ones that are solo, the ones that are about you, but mm. also we kept some stuff for ourselves. It is such wonderful advice. If I could just finish by asking each of you to share perhaps a sentence for, for people who are listening, who are thinking, oh, I'm struggling at the moment. I'm in the midst of all of this chaos. I don't know what I'm doing. What is something that got each of you through a particularly difficult parenting time, James? Um, it will pass generally the tantrum the mood the the upset all those things it'll pass so just be there and listen hmm. i'd say the same thing actually a very similar thing i think and probably i'd add um there was a very useful phrase was that a set of questions that preceded it will pass that i used to go through that i was um, encouraged to think about and one was is this realistic thinking um, is it about the here and now and then it will pass often I think with kids there's a particular thing happening and I'm then I've jumped forward to you know 5, 10, 15 years from now and decided that this current behaviour which is maybe not eating vegetables or you know whatever the <laughs> hell is now going to go straight from there <laughs> to, you know, catastrophe mm. um, in 15 to 20 years' time, you know? But, yeah. And being kind to yourself, you know? Being really kind to yourself. You and know? also uh, remember the fun. Like, fun, have fun too, and let, let things be fun. And I also think being honest with other parents because they're doing the same gig that you're doing. Tig and James, thank you for being honest and open and joyful with us today. It has been a real privilege to hear your story of parenting. Thank you both. Very Thank welcome. You. Cheers. Let's bring in Lydia Black from psych to you I'm not a fan of regrets. They're often seen as a burden that you carry around. But do you think it's okay to have regrets? I think it's kind of really normal and human to have regrets. Um, you know, it's a part of the human, the human makeup that we 
think about the future and that we think about the past. Um, we plan for the future and we learn from the past. And so the human brain will naturally go there. It will naturally look back on how things have gone and reflect and sort of weigh up if we could have improved or done things differently. And so it's really normal and it's really natural and it's not something you can stop doing, thinking about the past or planning for the future. And so when it comes to regrets about the past or stress about the future, coming back into the moment and getting present is really key because what that allows us to do then is to be able to go, okay, these things have happened. Can't change that, but what can I do? I can put my energy into being the person I would like to be now. And what that means is if you are able to come back into the present moment and be the person you would like to be now, you're then going to create a future of being the person that you would like to, that you would have liked to have been, so to speak. Whereas if you're stressing or worrying or being upset about what's happened in the past, what's going to occur is you're going to bring that unhappiness into the present moment and very likely have a negative or unhelpful impact on the present moment and how you interact, how you treat others, how you treat yourself. So it's really important to recognise that, A, it's really normal to have regrets, but B, super unhelpful, can't do a lot about it, but what you do have control over is the moment that you're in. And that's where coming back into the present moment, being the person that you would like to be, is really powerful. That is powerful, but how is it possible to stop that ruminating? Sometimes it can be tricky to shift that that regret or that, oh, what if, if I'd only done that and if I'd done that, then this would be different and we'd all be happier. How can you sort of shift that thinking into a more positive mindset? Firstly, it's really important to recognise that it's normal and natural to have negative emotions, but what will definitely keep those negative emotions around for longer is if you are beating yourself up for them or trying very hard to control them. Because what will happen is that you'll notice they come back. Even if for short-term periods you're able to shift into being more positive, so to speak, the negatives will come back at some time because life throws us curveballs or the brain will throw us a memory or a feeling or a thought that upsets us. And so it's really important to recognise that Yes, it would be great if we could be positive and happy all the time, although that would be slightly strange. <laughs> um, and so to recognise that when those negative thoughts show up, to notice, accept them as normal, and then to shift into doing what matters in the present. I love it. That's so spot on, and I'm going to try and channel some of that. <laughs> Guilt is another one of those negative emotions. I think almost being a parent and feeling guilty is something that just goes hand in hand. How can we manage guilt or is it just part and parcel of it? I think you hit the nail on the head there, Jess. To a certain degree, it's part and parcel of parenting. And, you know, it shows that we care, right? It shows that this stuff really matters to us because um, we, we only feel guilt because we are, you know, reflecting on how things have happened and kind of wishing and willing them to be different or wishing we had done more or done things differently, similar to regret. If you are feeling guilt, that's normal, that's natural. What can be really problematic is if you are hashing it, rehashing it, going over it, torturing yourself. So beating yourself up, whether it be regret or guilt or any of those emotions, is not only kind of unhelpful, but it can lead to you then carrying that into the present day, into the present moment, 
and and it can impact your parenting in a really unhelpful way, which then, of course, could lead to more guilt and more regret. So the most important thing is to be kind to yourself, to be able to be forgiving and to recognise that you're human and you can't do everything perfectly. There's going to be moments of guilt about how things have occurred. There's going to be moments of regret. When we are showing ourselves some self-compassion and some care, some self-care and, and forgiveness, that then liberates us. It actually frees us up. If we're able to say, okay, I'm human, I just stuffed up, that's okay. But right now I'm going to press the reset button and move into doing what matters to me and my family because that's what you have control over, the present moment you have control over, the stuff you're feeling guilty about or resentful about or, 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 or any of those other really strong emotions. That stuff in the past you have no longer control over. What you have control over is what you're doing now. Carrying on with that that guilt idea, often you can feel guilty, I mean, well, about everything really, but, but guilty about as a parent if you lose your cool, if you're <laughs> super stressed and you just lose it. And what is a way of coping with that? Because sometimes, you know, kids will just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and you'll do everything to try and keep it together and you just lose it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, oh, gosh, I wish my kids were here to sort of ref- to, to, to fill you in on the details of these, the realities of this stuff because, you know, when you're a, when you're a parent, you're a parent. <laughs> Even if you are <laughs> And I lose my cool often, I can tell you. And I do feel guilty about it. And I think the most important thing in those moments is the recovery. So to be able to say to your kids, I just stuffed up. I'm so sorry. You know, that was not, that was not nice. I, I really wish that I hadn't lost my cool in that way. And what I said wasn't fair. In fact, I think I had this conversation with my son yesterday. Um, and to then to be able to say, you know, mate, I was really frustrated, or you know, so-and-so, I was really upset and it came out as an explosion, I'm really sorry. What could I do differently next time? Or how could we deal with this differently next time? Or next time I'm going to step away. What I find difficult sometimes too is I'm normally pretty calm, but there are those moments when I will lose my cool, but my kids will laugh at me because they're so not used to seeing me cross. And that can be a hard thing too if, you, if you're trying to go rah, 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 and they're just basically laughing at you. My daughter used to just burst into tears if I growled because she wasn't used to it at all. And it, and it really brought me back into the moment of, oh, my gosh, and, of course, the guilt in that moment. Um, so whether it's laughter, whether it's tears, it's a, it's a moment to, re, to, to recognise that your behaviour impacts the people around you and to come back to being present and kind of get in touch with what matters in terms of how you would like to be as a parent. So this is this is what we were talking about before and I like to call it the reset button. So this is a little bit like, you know, you might have a moment of guilt if you beat yourself up for what's just occurred but if you can be kind to yourself and forgive yourself as in, okay, that wasn't cool but I'm human, I'm going to press the reset button now and and move into move into being more of the parent I would like to be in this moment rather than the parent I was even if it was just two minutes before you can still press the reset button and change mode I I like that idea I'm going to find my reset button later today (laughs) another thing as parents I think we do is that we worry about stuffing up our kids that that we're going to do it wrong and we want to do a better job than say perhaps our own parents did 
How can we let go of that anxiety around, oh my goodness, our kids are going to be seeing therapists for years to talk about all the things that we did wrong, that we stuffed them up? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, I think this comes back to the idea that, you know, you're not perfect. And if you expect yourself to be perfect or your children to be perfect, then you're going to set yourself and your children up for, for misery. Um, so, you know, you, you are going to make mistakes. That's a normal part of parenting. Um, and your kids are going to make mistakes. Us humans are so good at being negative. Us humans are so good at looking for the problems in how we're behaving or looking at what we've done wrong. So being mindful that that's the natural default setting of the human parenting brain or the human brain generally. And so if that's the default setting, we actually have to be quite mindful and purposeful, purposefully, sorry, look for the stuff that we can be proud of. Look for what we're doing well or doing just okay, just good enough, as I said before, about good enough parenting, you know. It's good enough if people are happy, safe, well-fed, clean and, and able to communicate with each other, you know, all of those, all of those basic needs being met. That's enough. The rest is just bonus stuff. (laughs) And loved, of course. Loved, absolutely loved, definitely. (laughs) Top of the list. (laughs) Lydia, there is so much information available about parenting. Do you have some thoughts about where's a good place for people to go, some books, some resources that, that are useful? I think many, many, many parents are confused why the, the, um, the spread of information that's put in front of us, which is fantastic, but it's a blessing and a curse. So, look, I think the most important thing is that you find a resource that you feel fits your, your values. It has to be right for you and your family. Your gut instinct, first and foremost, will lead the way. As in, if you're reading something that suggests something that just doesn't feel right, maybe that's not the resource or the professional for you. I think trust your gut. And if you can, one, maybe two other people in your life who you trust, who you look up to, who you admire, who you can lean on for support, who you can ask for advice. Um, You know, the idea of it takes a village to raise a child. Careful that you don't reach out to too many people in the village <laughs> and that you pick one or two elders or, or special people who you really trust and, and your gut instinct leads you towards. And that's such an important p- point that you make, Lydia, that don't feel that you have to consume every bit of information and really go for the bits that resonate with you, that sit with your values, your mindset and, and what's right for your family. Definitely. Definitely, I think it is. It is, and I, I know that for some people it can be quite confusing um, because people will say to me, "How do you know if it is your gut or your anxiety that is um, leading you in, in one particular way?" Um, and so, taking your time, trying not to rush into um, into into making big changes quickly in terms of parenting or um, relationship stuff. Take your time talk with the people around you, communicate with those who matter and and make decisions calmly and, and with good information in front of you. Lydia, thank you so much. Thanks, Jess.
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Navigating Parenthood in Perfect Parents. Yes, all of the episodes are available now. So please subscribe, rate and review. It helps others find the podcast. And head to hcf.com.au forward slash podcast for more information and useful links. If you're feeling depressed or anxious and need to talk to someone, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. There's great help out there. Head to reachoutparents at parents.au.reachout.com or find excellent help with HCF's partner, Psych2U, an online telehealth psychological service for eligible HCF members and all Australians at psych2u.com.au. HCF shows Uncommon Care. Our holistic mental health and wellbeing program helps the whole family, giving eligible members quicker and easier access to the care they need. See hcf.com.au forward slash mental support for more. I'm Jessica Rowe. I'll see you soon.